Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. I want to tell you today to simply be strong. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 29. These very simple package of words, less than 20 words. And it simply says this. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. There's two parts. There's a contrast. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, comma. Then the contrast. Here is the opposite. But destruction will come to the workers of of iniquity. One is leading to strength for the upright, to those who walk in the way of the Lord, destruction to those who are involved in iniquity. The pivot point there is that where he talks about strength. <clears throat> I don't know about you, I would prefer to be in the strength category and that word destruction category. And it's as simple as this. We need to come to this idea. And here's our idea today. Strength is derived from living the way God intends. If you want to boil it down to one word, it's simply this, to obey obedience, to do what God tells us to do and to not do what God tells us not to do. The great news is God is not bashful. The vast majority of things that we need to be concerned about are included in the word of God. I could give you example after example after example. Uh, let's just take one out of the Ten Commandments. Uh, God puts a high value on our honesty, doesn't he? That we are to tell the truth, that we are not to lie, that we're not to bear a false witness to anyone. That's, that's a value of God because God is strength. So God is, is this person who tells us that we should not lie, and in, in the opposite is we should always speak the truth, okay? So that puts us in that way of the upright. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. Now, the way of the Lord speaks all-encompassing. It talks about God's way in our lives, his involvement in our lives, but it also speaks as well about our way walking his way, that obedience, okay? For the upright, it's a way of saying this is the, kind of the summary of someone who walks in the way of the Lord. They're upright. The strength is derived from living God's way. And there's a couple things we need to do. We need to understand what that means. We're going to look at that and make some choices there. And then we need to monitor what that means in our life. I had a little bit of a tragedy this morning, a minor crisis. I typically, in my back pocket, and I do have one there now, I carry a comb with me because some of us need all the help we can get, okay? Some of us just need all the help we can get. And so uh, and I, I have, now I'm a little self-conscious. I don't really know how it looks up there. So I grab my comb, and, a big, and there's, a, there's about an inch section of the teeth missing from my comb. I don't know how, I don't know how you function with a comb that's missing some of the things. You know, you, you're, no matter what you do, you're missing part of it. So I hope I'm presentable. But I'm just thinking, sometimes when it comes to our evaluation in life, we just kind of, we just kind of make a, a quick sweep. And we don't kind of look at the totality of our lives, okay? We don't look into our hearts. We don't look into our souls. So I'm going to give you this morning some ways to kind of sweep through without any, uh, any gaps, okay, hopefully, because we need to measure how we're obedient or disobedient and the changes we need to, take, we need to make because that verse is very important to us because that's where strength comes from, all right? So let's look into our study this morning, and I'll just begin with 
this concept. We need to choose to live God's way. We need to choose every day to obey him. It works better. It gives us strength. It avoids what we do not want to have happen. So it's a choice we need to make. And I was talking to someone after the first service this morning, and they were talking about learning lessons, and sometimes they were feeling a little frustrated because they kind of go back and have to learn that lesson again. I said, you know, that's, that's probably a good description of the Christian life. It's, it's continually learning the same lessons over and over again. And what one of us haven't had to go back again and say, okay, I need to make this choice. So this is daily. This is continual. This is right now. This is today. And there's two parts of that. I want to take the second part of the verse first. I want to take the negative first and then the positive because I have a tendency to always run to the positive. The way of the Lord is, is strength for the upright. Yay! But the second half of the verse is just as important for us. And I don't want to neglect that this morning. So we need to, do, to, to live God's way, to choose to live God's way. We need to, first of all, listen to his warnings. He warns us in the text what happens if we don't obey. And he's very plain about it. This may not be much fun, but it's extremely critical for our spiritual well-being and our strength. But destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. Listen to his warnings. It helps us avoid trouble in life. Sin gets you into trouble. That's probably the most non-profound thing I could say because everybody knows that, right? We've experienced that. We've all, we're all adults here. We've lived enough life to know that sin complicates, gets us in trouble, shame, guilt, and God's response to said trouble. And it also does this. It provides protection in life. The word translated strength in verse 29 and depending on what translation you have, and by the way, the Hebrew is, is a little more imprecise than the Greek, which was the original language in the New Testament. Sometimes you look up a Hebrew word and it's translated five, ten different ways in the Old Testament. So it's not quite as precise. Some translations say this is a stronghold or a refuge. You know, for the upright, for those walking away, Lord, they have a safe place. We talked about that safe place last week when we were in Nahum chapter 1 where God is our stronghold, our safety, our place of safety. But not only that, but it's speaking, I think, to us about it's our strength personally, our strength to be able to succeed, our strength to be able to serve, our strength to be able to be in a place that God can honor and bless us. So it avoids trouble. It provides protection. And I was thinking earlier, what, what kind of examples could I give? I could give examples from life. I could give examples from history, culture, famous people. You know, we've all seen someone who seemed to have it all together and everything going well, and then because of some moral blunder, their life just, just, just kind of implodes on itself. But I thought I'd think, with this, think together about a biblical example. And if you're a student of the Bible, you just need to kind of flash back in your Bible understanding to get this. If not, I'll give you enough detail to kind of understand, and you can read the original text in your copy of the Scripture. But in 1 Samuel, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapters 8 through 31, so there's 23 chapters that one man's story is told, and it's intertwined with some other events and other people, but his, his story spans that, and his name is Saul. He was the first king of Israel, and he started out so well. God selected him. He didn't do anything to earn. He didn't apply. He didn't have to pass the test. God just says, You're gonna, they want a king. I'm going to give them a king. You're going to be the king. He seemed to be suited for it, at least physically. Because he was a tall man and apparently a good-looking man that's like, you know, if we're going to make a movie about a king, we call down to central casting. This is the kind of guy you want. He looks this way. He's tall. He's, he's notable. And he started out well. God blessed him and God elevated him. But then if you read the story of Saul's life, a series 
of disobedient moments, a pattern of disobedient thinking, a pattern of not taking God's word seriously, and it leads to disaster. I'll give you a couple examples. Remember the story of David, him killing Goliath the giant. He did that in service of King Saul, service of God ultimately, but in service of his king. Saul should have been so thrilled. I'd like to have someone like David on my side, wouldn't you? That he's, you know, the giant slayer, the giant killer. He's on my side. But instead, Saul became jealous and envious of the fame and the notoriety that David received to the point that he tried to do him harm, chase him down, and he was trying multiple times to have him murdered or to kill him. You see how that leads to that, that disobedience. God doesn't want any of that. And then there's the moment when Samuel, who was the prophet, comes to him and says, God has a word for you. He has a mission for you. He has a job for you. There's a group of people that are so wicked that I want you to go and attack this this group of people. And after you've attacked them, I don't want you to bring any of their stuff back. Whatever you find in their city is to be destroyed. I don't want you to spoil. I don't want you to take anything for yourself. It's all got to be destroyed. But Saul, in his disobedience, keeps some of the the choice sheep because sheep were a valuable commodity in in their day. So they bring some of the sheep and so forth, and, and he kind of justifies this his own mind because we'll use these to sacrifice the Lord, ignoring that God said, nope, don't bring any of that stuff back. He also brings the king, King Agag, back as a sort of a, a human living trophy, and he wasn't supposed to do that. Well, Samuel shows up, and Saul goes out to, to greet him, and Saul's re- statement is interesting. He says, all that the Lord has commanded I have done. And Samuel immediately replies, then what is the bleeding of these sheep I hear in my ears? <laughs> Do you think you're going to get this one past God, Saul? Do you think no one's going to notice? Do you think you're, you, that God is that uh, imprecise in his commands? And that day, God tells Saul through Samuel that his dynasty is going to be one and done. Because in their day, your son would get the kingdom after you and your line would go on. He says, after you're gone, no more of the family of Samuel. I'm going to bring someone in that's going to replace you. And that, of course, you know is David. Toward the end of his life, he was tormented of mind. He, had, he had, a, had a spirit that came and tormented his mind, and he, he lived a tormented life. And then near the end of his life, God stopped speaking to him, giving him direction because of his disobedience. And it gets to the point that he goes out and he, he, he contacts a medium or a fortune teller to tell him whether he should go to battle or not. He winds up going to battle. His sons were all killed. He is mortally wounded. And rather than letting the opposing armies take him and capture him and maybe torture him, he kills himself. He commits suicide on the battlefield. He lost his influence. He lost his kingdom. He lost his reputation. He lost his family. He lost his life because he was a person of disobedience. So that word destruction you see there in the verse in front of us, in verse 29, is exactly what it means, destruction. You can destroy your life. It is not hard to do. And many of us have come close, and if it were not for the grace of God and our repenting and coming back to him, who knows where we would be by this point in life. Now, I also understand that this is also a New Testament concept. It's one that we don't like to think about sometimes, but it's important. We've got to make sure that we, we cover everything that God wants to say to us and cover, him, cover us with the whole totality of his teaching. So he says things like this to us. And you might want to be familiar with this passage of Scripture, the 10th chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. If you're a note taker, write that down. If not, listen carefully. In that passage, it says, whom the Lord loves. Now, this is his children. This is his people. This is saved people. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Chastens is discipline that's brought to bear to correct us, to get us back on the path. 
I know that everyone in this room, whether we recognize it or not, have experienced that somewhere in life if you've walked with the Lord any length of time. And it says, whom the Lord loves, he turns. If he doesn't chasten you, he said, you're not a legitimate son. You're, you're, you're not really one of his children. It's going to take place. Paul describes in a letter to the church of Corinth, he said there was someone in their church that was in such dreadful sin. He said the, the response is you need to just kind of disassociate yourself with them. You need to put out of the church. And he used this phrase. He said, for the destruction of the flesh so that the soul may be saved. This may destroy this person's life, but it's for his own good. And this, this, this trouble that's coming upon him, this chasing that's coming upon him, that hopefully would bring him to a point of repentance. He also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says they've been disobedient in the church. He says, for this reason, there are some among you who are sick. The sickness is that particular case. It was because of their disobedience. And then he says, and some sleep. That means some have died. God reserves the right, destruction, God reserves the right. If we are so disobedient, he can take us out of this life, and he's within his rights to do it. So this warning is for us. Destruction can come on us in life. We can, we can get in a place we never wanted want to be. And it all comes back to the choices we make in disobedience or obedience. Now, we'll give you, give you that measure and some process in just a moment. But secondly... Let's go to the positive part of the verse. That's verse 29, verse, first section. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. Stark contrast to the destruction upon the wicked. We need to learn of his blessings. His blessings come from obedience. It leads to quantity of life and it also leads to quality of life. By the way, in this context, you can see it back in verse 27, among other places here in Proverbs, that he talks about the length of life. Now, it does not mean that everybody who has a short life is unrighteous and everybody who has a long life is righteous. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But he simply means there's a general principle in play here that if you live a life of wanton disobedience and not paying attention to God, it may well shorten the quantity of your life and it certainly will detract from the quality of life that God wants you to have. So it adds those things to life if we seek his blessing. Let's see if we can find another biblical example. Can we do another little Bible flashback this morning? I want you to think back in the book of Genesis. His story runs from Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis 50. Thirteen chapters of the Bible encompass the story of a man named Joseph. Joseph was a son of Jacob. Jacob's other name was Israel. Those are used in different places, but same man. He had 12 sons, and Joseph was number 11 of 12. His 10 older brothers, and by the way, when the story unfolds, his youngest brother has not been born yet, so it's just 11 boys at this point. And because of perceived favoritism of father to son 11, the other 10 hate their brother. And while they're out alone, separate from dad, out in the fields tending the sheep, they capture Joseph and they throw him in a pit with the intent that they're going to murder him and they're going to convince dad that he died in some accident. Some animal come and attacked him. Before they murder him, a caravan comes by and someone, one of the brothers has this idea, well, let's, we ought to profit from this rather than just kill him. Let's sell him as a slave to these people heading down to Egypt. So they sold their brother for money. And off he goes into Egypt. But I want you to think with me what you know in the Bible about how Joseph responded. He gets to serving. He gets to serve in the house of a, name, of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was uh, well up in the government and the military of, of Egypt. 
He served as the head of the household servants. Potiphar's wife took a liking to this young Hebrew slave in her midst. She desires that she would become his illicit lover. She makes attempts to make that happen. He refuses. And then one day she's really going to trap him. She makes sure everybody's out of the house. No one's around. He comes in and she offers to enter into this relationship. And he takes off and runs the other way. He was obedient to God when probably he had every reason, if he wanted to build the reasons and the rationale in your mind, that, well, give in. Everybody's going to do it. Who's going to know? I'm a slave. I don't get in trouble with her. But he does what God says to do. And he gets in trouble for it because when, dad, when husband comes home, uh, wife tells him that he was the aggressor and he is thrown into prison. Now, think about this. It doesn't look like there's a whole lot of blessing here, but you've got to flash forward in the story. He goes to prison, and you can read the rest of the story. He's released from prison, and God in his grace elevates Joseph to the number two guy in all of Egypt. During this time of great, great bounty for seven years and a time of of, of, of uh, famine for seven years. And then the day comes when the ten brothers come walking in to buy grain from the Egyptian authorities. And they step in front of Joseph. They don't recognize him because he's all dressed in his Egyptian garb. And they come and offer, but he recognizes them. How would you feel at that moment? It's been years. They wanted to kill me. They sold me as a slave. I wound up mistreated. I wound up lied about. I wound up in prison. I had to go through all that experience. Payback, right? How does Joseph respond? He forgives. He loves. He provides. He offers grace. And because of his position that God put him in, in spite of all those things they did, God used him to preserve his family and to preserve the heritage of Abraham and to keep the promises God made to Abraham and the, God, the promises God made to us to send a Savior through that people group. God used him to honor God by obedience. Saul, Joseph, you could not have greater differences in the outcome. So we need to learn of his blessings. We need to understand at least the quality of life. We need to learn from that. So how do we put this into play in our life? How can this make a difference in our life now? I want to just share with you some ways to monitor living God's way and uh, make sure when we, uh, like the comb without the teeth, make sure we cover all of life, okay? And I want to suggest to you Three questions to ask frequently. And to do this, in the, in, you can do this in the privacy of your own heart. You can do this with someone else if you want to. But make sure you're honest before God because God already, knows. God, God already knows. God already knew about those sheep that Saul was trying to stash away. God knew what went on in Potiphar's house and that everybody thought he did the wrong thing. But he knew that Joseph did the right thing. So God knows. So three questions to ask. Now, first of all, to monitor living God's way, before we get to three questions, let me say this first. We need, first of all, to experience the salvation that he provides. That's our position in Christ. Before we can ask the questions to monitor our spiritual health, we need to have spiritual, a spiritual relationship with God through salvation. The one thing that separates us from God is our sin. And the Bible says that, that we need to have that sin dealt with so that we can have fellowship with God. So I want you to understand, even though we're talking about living righteously, living obediently, yes, 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 and yes, you cannot live obediently enough to earn God's favor and have your sins forgiven. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by our faith in Christ. 
And if we are saved by our faith in Christ, that's for the purpose that we can then do good works to honor him and love him and serve him. So don't think, well, I just need to be good and I'll be saved. That's not the way it works. Saved people need to be good because they are saved, not to get saved. So he died on the cross. The only thing that pays for sin is death. He died on the cross. It's not works. It's death. It's not being good. It's death. It's not obedience. It's death. It's not change of life. It's death. And he died in our place. And he says all who want to believe in that can come and trust in that. And you'll have your sins forgiven. And you'll have me to help you and work on changing you and help you to grow into this life of obedience that we cooperate with. If you're here this morning and never trusted Christ as your Savior, I would simply say to you, don't put off that decision. If we could help you with that, help you understand it, have a conversation with you, one of our pastors would be glad to talk to you. Maybe you came with a Christian friend or a family member that knows Christ, they could have that conversation with you. But don't put off. Do not put off. Don't wait in getting that issue settled of being saved. Now, for us who are saved, who are believers, we need to keep the standards he sets. This is the practice this is how we, we live life, all right? So let's think about this in three questions. And the first question is simply this. Ask yourself before the Lord, and invade this in prayer, by the way, and do this with some time. We need to ask this question. Am I following his standards? The standards are the rights and the wrongs. And sometimes we go to just the wrongs. Well, I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't think that. I shouldn't, you know, fill my mind that way. But it's also the rights. For instance, God tells us in the scriptures that we are to be kind, loving, and forgiving to a people, even, love, even to the point of loving our enemies. So it, it's not only just what, sometimes we think, well, I don't do this, I don't do that, never done that. Wouldn't even dream of doing that. We think, well, I'm good. There's all these positives we need to do. Am I being kind and being forgiving? You could add to that a great list, all right? But if you before the Lord can say, am I keeping with standards? Best I know, I, I, I'd say it's a yes. If, if you can come to that conclusion, then here's three things. That leads us to, first of all, you make sure you continue to grow, studying scripture, being a person of prayer, being in fellowship with God's people, those sorts of things. Because even though you might say, right now I believe I'm in obedience, you understand that's, a, that's not a given for five minutes from now. It's not a given for tomorrow or five days from now. So we need to trust in his strength. When we feel good about ourselves, when we feel like I'm really living in obedience right now, we need to really be trusting in his strength because that's a moment where we can get overly self-confident. Well, I'm doing all right. I can coast a while. I can relax a while, which leads to the next one. Always stay on guard. There's a verse in Genesis. You remember Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel both brought an offering to God. Abel's was received, but God Cain's wasn't. And he's all kind of upset and mad about it. And, and God comes and talks to him and says, be careful because sin is crouching at the door. You are in a place of vulnerability. It's just like an animal outside your door. As soon as you open the door, he's going to pounce on you. That's where you're at. And, of course, you know the rest of Cain's story. He was pounced on. And he winds up killing his brother Abel, the first, first murder in recorded history. And all the ramifications for Cain and his descendants after that are in the scriptures. So be on guard. There's always this crouching at the door. You say, am I keeping standards? Am I walking in obedience? Yes, I think so. I believe so. I prayed about it. I feel comfortable. Be on guard. Keep growing and trust in the strength. If the answer is no, if the God calls to our attention, am I, am I keep following a standard and the answer is no, then we need to first of all confess sin as sin. We call it sin. 
And we, we want to make sure we don't get into this hat. Well, I made a poor choice. I made a mistake. I just took a wrong turn right there. No, no, no. Just call it sin. If we have disobeyed God, it's sin. He invites us to confess for ourselves. 1 John 1, 9. If that's not a verse you're familiar with, that would be a verse I'd encourage you to have tucked away in your memory. Where it talks about if we confess our sins as believers, he is faithful and just. The good news, isn't it? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess our sins. Secondly, learn what to do. Okay, here's what happened. Here's what I did. Here's what I didn't do. What can I learn? How can I do differently next time? Where did I make my mistake? Where was I not paying attention? What scripture do I need to learn? What do I need to practice? Even if it was a total disaster in my moral obedience, then we still need to come to this place to say, what can I learn? And lastly, same as last time, stay on guard. Because even though God is in the business forgiving and restoring, what you face that time will likely not be the last time. May we learn the lessons. So following the standards. How about allowing his redirection? This talks about, the first talked about our morality. This talks about our submission. Am I allowing his redirection? In other words, am I sensing his prodding me this way or prodding me away from that? Or maybe it's, a, it's, it's redirecting me to do something for him and his glory or to reach out to that person or to make something right. or what, it, could be, it could be a host of things. But it's that subtle direction of the Spirit that we wait on him to direct us. If you say, well, yes, I, I believe so, then it's going to be a very similar list because it's the same list. Continue to grow if it's a yes. I want to keep growing. I want to keep making progress. I need to trust in his strength. Lord, I want, you, you seem to be directing me now. I want to trust in your strength, your power, your presence, your ability, your kindness, your goodness, your grace to direct me in the next moment, in the next day, in the next season of life. And always stay on guard because there's a proneness to wander in all of us. There's an old hymn from all the way back in the 1800s written by a man named William Cowper. It's a hymn that's entitled, some of you will know it, it's called Come Thou Fount. It includes these lines. He's he's kind of describing his own soul, the the author of the song is. He says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There is that proneness for all of us to, to veer off in a direction we don't need to be. We need his direction. Stay on guard. If we say, am I allowing his direction? The answer is no. If we feel convicted about that, and by the way, that's kind of the Bible word for this this experience, to be convicted, to be struck apart, to understand this, this cannot be, this cannot stand, this cannot last, this is not the way I want to be. I don't want to let this follow down the path into destruction of, and of quality of life or quantity of life. I want to confess it as sin and be restored to God in my, my, my communion with him, to listen, to, excuse me, to learn what to do. Again, it's that, where was I, where was I self-focused? Where was I absorbed with myself? Where was I listening to the wrong influences out there? Who was I trying to please rather than God? So we process all those things, and then we stay on guard. And lastly, I don't know any way to say it other than this, this question. Am I connecting to his heart? Am I connecting to his heart? Is, is there a love relationship between me and God? It's not just mechanically, don't do this, do that. No, I do it because I want to. I do it because I love him. Because he is, as we sang a little bit ago, he is the great and the mighty God. He is that one that that we serve. He is worthy of our our service. We do it because we love him. If we say, well, I think the answer is yes, continue to grow. Trust his strength. And always stay on guard because we can be very fickle in our love. We can be very distracted. 
We can be pulled away. We need to come back to this place of being aware that he is the lover of our souls and we are to love him. As Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then love your neighbors yourself. And then if the answer happens to be no, if there's a coolness, if there's a coldness, if there's a callousness in our love relationship with the Lord, that is to be confessed as sin. Lord, I've lost my love for you. I, 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 it has waned. It's been, I've been distracted. I've, I've, I've gotten enamored with something else or someone else or something I want in place of you. I have an idolatrous heart and I want to come back to you. Learn what to do. Learn where those distractions take place. Learn those places you should stay away from. Learn those things you shouldn't allow your mind to dwell on. Learn those things that you should not fill your mind with. And learn those things you should fill your mind with and the people that should in, will influence you in a way that you should go. And lastly, stay on guard. Be watching. So here's your assignment. Here's your homework class. I want to encourage you because I want to practice this too and I've been trying to in advance to ask those three questions. Those three questions in life. Am I following his standards? Am I allowing his redirection? Am I connecting to his heart? Yes, here's what to do. No, here's the response I should have. May God help us to just make sure that we have a good, close examination of our lives, our hearts, our direction. Because the 29th verse of Proverbs 10 says this, The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come in the workers of iniquity. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the Scriptures. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.